Well, we're going to start in prayer this morning. Uh, we're going to jump into a conversation on anxiety, which I'm anxious about, okay? And I, <laughs> I, I wish that was a joke, but it is not. And uh, I think this is a pretty real conversation. And I think there's some pretty real uh, scenarios and some pretty real situations that are currently in play that I just want to pray over, spend some time recognizing and inviting Jesus to do his thing this morning and allow us to just listen in. So Father, we come to you <clears throat> with open arms, open hands, open hearts to hear and see you in a new way. Father, you would reveal to us our deep need, our deep fallenness, our deep sinfulness, our deep um, emptiness without you, and simultaneously to reveal to us the beautiful, baffling, beyond our comprehension love that you have for us, in particular through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning as we sit here, as we exist here in this moment, Father, the moment that you've given us, things that have happened in the past, things to come play a part, but we're in this moment, we recognize you're here with us, we praise you for that, because you are the eternal, holy, good creator and sustainer of life, the king over all. And we ask that you would just reveal yourself and your grace and your mercy in these moments. And Father, I confess <coughs> that my own heart has things that I hold on to instead of you. And would you do a work inside of all of us to reveal what maybe is holding its place instead of you in our hearts? And Father, I know, I know, I know there are situations, circumstances, moments in time that are real and raw right now. And Father, I ask, and because you are good and you are kind, you invite us to, for a peace that transcends all understanding, a peace that is only found in the gospel, a peace that is only found in the community that is called the church, a peace that Jesus died on the cross for and rose again to solidify. That, Father, you would just cover this room in a peace and a confidence in you, whether circumstances play out like we think they will or not. But Father, we know that you are in control of all that is going on. And, Father, we ask that you would lead us this morning. Make this about you and allow us to respond in light of that. I also pray for our kiddos who are hanging out in the back. And uh, Father, we praise you for them and their life. May you make us like them today. Give us a childlike faith in this moment to trust you in this moment, to trust you right now, to lean into you right now, and to listen. And I pray you'd be with them in the same way and be over our volunteers who are leading them. Give them a strength and a wisdom to have the right conversations at the right time. And so, Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for your kingdom and your glory and your goodness and all the things that are wrapped in that. And we give you today. Praise your name. Amen. Like Paige said, we're starting a new series called Calm in an Anxious World. And I got a weird question for you at the opening, okay? So be ready for a weird question. Is your furnace working, right? For some of you, you're like, darn, mine is not, and that is a relevant conversation, right? But is your furnace working, right? This question did not become really a, a, an apparent or needed question for me before the weekend of Christmas. On that weekend, though, it became a very real conversation inside of my life and inside of my household. You know what Christmas weekend was like. It was negative 5, negative 10, and wind chilled was like crazy, crazy, crazy low, right? We're all freezing. I went outside to shovel, which was to no avail. There was nothing 
nothing that happened with me shoveling outside of more snow being blown on and ice was just freezing, right? But I went out and shoveled, and my eyelashes and my eyebrows were literally growing icicles. I had never experienced it before. I was out there for 10 minutes. I was a snowman, right? It was insane. And it was very cold that weekend. And as that weekend ushered in, our furnace decided to kind of not do its thing. And so as the days, starting on Thursday, entering Friday, Saturday, right, things started to crank up. About Friday or Saturday, we noticed that our thermostats, right, the thermostat where we had it set was not where it was actually at. And instead of it keeping up, it was actually getting lower, right? And so I am like, what is happening here, right? I'm freaking out a little bit. We got two young kids. I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen. It's getting colder and colder. I was outside. I turned into a snowman. I'm inside. I feel like a snowman still, and I don't know what's going on. To the point where, to the point where Christmas Eve morning, right, it was about 55, 56, 57 in our house, which um, is still significantly warmer than outside, so I was grateful for that. But when you go from outside to inside, it wasn't where I wanted it at to warm up. And so I'm freaking out a little bit, right? Because not only, not only is my thermostat or is my furnace kind of not working, it's cold outside, but Christmas is this weekend, and we're having people over. And I know it gets warmer with body heat, but it ain't going to get that warm, right? And so what I decided to do because I knew everything was working, right? We just had our HVAC guy out, and he had looked at everything. Everything was working, right? There was some heat coming through, right? It was trying its hardest. It just wasn't keeping up, right? I had changed the filter just 20-some days before that. Everything was supposed to be fine. I just assumed it couldn't keep up, and so I went to Ace Hardware. And Pastor Joel went and bought space heaters galore, right? And so all of a sudden, we went from furnace to space heaters. And so we're at night, right? There's a space heater pumping into my son's room. There's a space heater pumping in my daughter's room. There's a space heater in the living room. We can do Christmas now. Christmas Day comes. Still cold, but it's getting warmer. I had figured it out, right? Went from like 57, 58, so now it's like 64 and 65, and life is good, and things are happening, right? My father-in-law, mother-in-law, and their family come over. We do Christmas, and he says to me, Joel, this is kind of weird. This doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like this should be happening. It shouldn't be this cold in here, this and that. And I'm like, well, tell me about it, right? We've been living in it. You and your 70-degree house, tell me about it, right? <laughs> I understand. He said, why don't I go downstairs and check, right? And I'm like, okay, why don't you go downstairs and check, right? And he noticed something that I did not notice. He noticed that as he was looking at our furnace, right, and he looked where the filter is, that the air pushing into it, right, was working really hard and the filter was bending a significant amount and it wasn't allowing much air to circle through. He pulls out that filter and I tell you what, I've never seen a filthier filter in my life. And we put a new filter in, bada bing, bada bam, it caught up, right? And it was as simple as that, right? And you're all like, you idiot. I know, I know. <laughs> right? I know. I understand. I get it, right? All it was was the filter. It just wasn't allowing air to get through. It was just so dirty, which is probably another problem. We'll figure that out another day, right? Next Christmas, we'll figure that out, right? There's something to that. But it was the filter the whole time. But here's the reality, right? Here's the reality. As I was checking the thermostat, the thermostat was telling me something, the thermostat was telling me something. It was telling me something was off. The thermostat was giving me the signal that not everything is going the way that it's supposed to go because you have it set at 68 and it's 57 in the house. The thermostat was telling me that something was off. It was giving me signals. It was a marker that I should check the furnace out or do something about it. And in, in, in reality, that's exactly what anxiety does. It's a signal that something is off. It's a signal that something needs to be checked out. And, and here's the reality. Whether it's with your furnace or with anxiety, right, there are two things that we can do to it. There are two responses we can have to it, right? When my furnace wasn't working the way it was, wasn't or wasn't supposed to, and I was checking the thermostat, right, the first way we can kind of deal with it is we can deny it, right? 
I kind of denied the fact that we needed to deal with the source. I just went and bought space heaters. So I'm like, if I can just get it figured out and do my thing, then I'll pump it into the rooms that I need to pump it into, and everything will be okay this weekend, and we'll enjoy a very Merry Christmas, right? And some of us, we can do that. We can do that in life, right? The thermostat's off, but we can kind of deny it, and we can kind of come over here and try to figure it out, maybe put some pieces over here, maybe distract from it. Well, if I don't go downstairs, I won't have to figure it out. But for others, there's another way I do it, is I actually can damage it, right? And the other way that we could have attacked it was instead of getting space heaters from Ace Hardware at 9 a.m. on Christmas Eve, right? They're grateful to see me, right? We can damage it, and we can crank that thermostat up as much as we can. Well, if it's not catching up to 68, I'm going to get it to 75. Well, it's not catching up, I'm going to get it to 80. What happens there is the thermostat's trying, or the furnace is trying, 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 trying until it gets damaged because it just is not doing its thing and something's off. And instead of going down and checking it out and seeing what's going on and seeing what is happening, all of a sudden I've damaged it for good. And the reality is this when it comes to anxiety, anxiety is a signal that something is off. Something is sitting there that something is not right, that I need to check something out. And all too often, all too often, I can just deny it and distract myself and try to just kind of muster through it and get through it and figure it out. Or I can just keep going. If I just keep going and I just keep trying to go as hard as I can and just ignore it and just go after it, I can damage things, I can hurt things because anxiety is a signal. And what's interesting is this, right? What's interesting is anxiety is a signal. It's a signal that something's off, but there are very physical signals that anxiety brings. That literally, right, anxiety is like the thermostat to your body, right, being the furnace. That there's this thermostat that tells you something's off. And I was reading a book by a man named Steve Cuss, and he writes about leadership, and he writes about managing anxiety inside of leadership. And he would say there's three physical signals that can tell you that you are in the midst of anxiety. Three things that are very common, and here is the reality to it. You may deal with one of the three, two of the three, or three of the three, which I am someone who does. The first one is this. You can have a racing heart, right? You have a racing heart. All of a sudden, anxiety pumps in, and your heart goes, 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 right? And you're just sitting there, and you're wondering, what if this happens? What if that happens? I'm not so sure, right? The second thing is this. You can have a tightened gut, right? We like to pretty that up and say it's just butterflies, but it's a tightened gut, right? Where all of a sudden, you just can not get that feeling out. You feel sick. You're worried to death, and all of a sudden, it just kind of lands in here. You can't eat. You just feel sick, or I'm not sure what to do with that, right? The third one is a spinning mind, right? It's a spinning mind. When that happens, you're thinking about all the different results, all the different things, all the different wonderings about what could or what could not happen. I wonder if racing heart, tightened gut, spinning mind are all thermostat measures to something is off, and you may be navigating anxiety. Because here's the reality. Eyes up here. We're going to walk five weeks through this series. And I want to walk as diligently and compassionately and carefully through this as I can. Because I stand here as someone who daily battles anxiety. It is something that I navigate all the time. And I have a compassion for those who navigate it in various different ways Navigate in very diff various different circumstances. Because here's the reality about this conversation. Eyes up here. It is very personal. It is. It's very personal. And, and sometimes we like to deny that, dismiss it, or distract ourselves from it, but it's very personal. That for some of us, we are in a season of it, or maybe we've spent a lifetime of it. Maybe it's genetic, or maybe it's just the environment. Whatever it may be, it's maybe very personal for you to navigate anxiety. 
navigate the what-ifs of life, which we'll talk about. And for you, you have been through this season or you're in this season, and what's going on is all of a sudden your mind is racing, tightened gut, hearts pounding, whatever it may be, and you're dealing with maybe it's work, maybe it's family, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's kids, whatever it may be. And in this season, what's taken place is maybe you become more negative than positive. Maybe you've kind of, kind of funneled yourself into this isolation. Maybe for some of you, right, you can't leave the house with thinking about all the different scenarios that are going to happen. Or maybe it's a relationship. No matter who you are, I know in this room, some hundred of us in this room, every single one of us deals with some sort of effect of anxiety, and it all looks different. And I want you to know that you are welcome here, and I believe that you are safe here, and we want to have this conversation on a personal level too. It's not just, let's get through the sermon outline and Let's get through all the different cute phrases. You're navigating something. And it doesn't matter where you are at in life, what your failures are, secrets are, maybe it's relationship stuff. It don't matter. You're navigating it because anxiety, it doesn't discriminate. It just doesn't. And yet at the same time, how do we find peace inside of that? How do we navigate it? We'll talk about this because it doesn't matter who you are, there is a spectrum of people in this room, all the way from elementary and middle school and high school to young adults, to you're kind of in your middle kind of age where you got kids maybe, or you're figuring out life still, or maybe you have a career, whatever it may be, right? Or you have grandkids, or you're retired. Listen, everyone is navigating it, and it maybe has turned a new dial here recently in particular with the last three years. So how do we navigate peace in the midst of it? This is what I would have you write down. This is kind of the overarching for the series. God's presence is the antidote to anxiety. God's presence is the antidote to anxiety. And we'll talk through that throughout this entire series, all right? And like Paige said, I would invite you to grab a series guide our series guide team consists of three members of our congregation, our campus here, who month in and month out pour into that. I would invite you to grab one because they diligently built this series guide and we received resources from a professional counselor in our midst who very graciously kind of levied those resources for our use. There's a ton to be had inside of that series guide. And that will be a helpful resource Monday through Saturday for you. And hopefully we'll connect to what we talk about here inside of our time together. Here's the reality, okay? Here's the reality. Let's get into what is anxiety, right? Anxiety, it asks the question, what if, right? It asks the question, what if? Like, what if I don't know the answer? Or what if they don't like me? Or what if I don't fit in? Or what if I don't get that grade? Or what if I don't have approval from them? Or what if people are there? I was a kid of what ifs. You ask my parents, my grandma, who lives with my parents, she's my only living grandparent left. She is hilarious because almost every time I'm over at my parents' house, she'll say, Joel, Joel I cannot believe it. I'm like, what, Grandma? She's like, I cannot believe that you do what you do for a living because when you were a kid, you hid from everybody. I'm like, well, God does amazing things, right? That's amazing because I would often, right, ask what if, right? My mom would say, let's go to the public pool. And I was like, what if people are there? And she's like, there's going to be people there, man. You just got to go, right? We go into school and I'm like, what if it doesn't go well? What if I don't? She's like, you just got to go still, right? All of the what ifs that took place in life. And that's what's interesting, that's what's interesting, and I could go here, but we're not going to spend a lot of time here because there's a lot more meat to go after, but anger, or not anger, sorry, fear and anxiety are cousins, okay? But anxiety and fear are different. They are. Here's the reality. Anxiety and fear are different. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one, right? Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Here's the reality. Fear, right? Fear's like, there is a leopard in front of me, it's coming after me, flight 
or fight, right? You either run or you sucker punch the leopard in the mouth, right? Whatever it may be. Anxiety is just living life imagining that everywhere you go, there's a leopard, tiger, lion ready to pounce on you. And what if that happens? Or what if that takes place? Or what if that goes the way I didn't want it to go? And what's interesting is this. And I've been reading a lot, and this is a fascinating thing that's really shifted in the last probably 25, 30 years, but the last three years in particular. Anxiety is not just a personal thing that you and I individually navigate. It has become a collective thing that we navigate, in particular to our setting, this country. What's interesting is if you look at some stats, which are blaringly obvious that America is the most anxious country in the world. We spend, okay, and this is not a knock on any medical measure or counseling measure or anything of that nature, but just to get an idea, we spend about $300 billion a year on medical measures to combat anxiety in our lives. It's a big number, right? And I'm not saying that that's not good and healthy in some ways, right? But that is a huge number. What's interesting enough is it's not just something that adults now are experiencing, but actually our next generation, I would argue, is experiencing it at levels and at measures that are unheard of and unseen in previous generations. There was a quote by a name, uh, Robert Leahy. He would say this, the average child today, listen, exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Okay, now listen, right? That's a big deal. It's a big deal because kids are navigating circumstances. They're navigating all the things that come with that on a daily basis, right? And I would say the last 30 years, there would be researchers and scholars that look at that and say there's been a shift. But in the last three years, there's been a ginormous, significant shift that has taken place inside of our culture, inside of our world, inside of our community as a country. A shift that has presented anxiety over everyone and having to be navigated on the shoulders of everyone. And I think it comes down to multiple things. Anxiety, a bunch of what-ifs, comes down to a lot of different things that have changed and shifted over time. If you want to write these down, they're not on the screen. But there's three occurrences that maybe are important to note. Because if America is the most anxious country, right, we live also in the most secure, developed, and comfortable country at the same time. Something has to be off. Something doesn't make sense, right? You'd assume if we have all the security systems, all of the development, all of the things, right, we have tap water and we got cars, that we should be pretty secure in what's going on, but we're not. I think three occurrences have maybe developed over time that have led to this. The first is what I would state as the perpetual change, right? The perpetual change. Um, they would, some scholars would say that we have seen more change over the last 30 years, more than we saw the previous 300 years. So the change that we've experienced, so I'm 29, I just turned 29. The change of my lifetime, in just my lifetime, was more than the change that was experienced 300 years before in the generations that come. Doesn't mean there wasn't change. It doesn't mean that it wasn't drastic and insignificant. It just was expedited more. We, as we were studying and as I was discussing, you know, in the COVID season, what do we do as a church? A lot of scholars, a lot of pastors, a lot of authors would say that the last three years, right? Think about the last three years has actually expedited and brought us 10 years faster than we would have went 10 years before, that we went 10 years inside of a two-year gap in the midst of the season of COVID with technology and online stuff in the development of conversations, right? Think about all the changes that have happened. You and I literally have a computer in our pockets. If that's not the only change, right? That's, if that's not one of the biggest changes, it is the biggest change, right? We can carry this around everywhere. We can navigate anything on it. We can do whatever we want with it, right? You have 24-hour news. You have social media. Work life, family life has all changed, right? The, the concept of working from home has become a new thing and a thing that a lot of people have jumped into. There's just so much changes. The cultural conversations have changed also, right? And we've navigated some of that 
here inside of our setting. The second thing is this, personal challenges. Personal challenges, right? Here's reality. On top of perpetual change, there's always going to be personal challenges, right? Relational challenges, family dynamics, financial setbacks, separations, whatever it may be, right? You have challenges at school, educational challenges, economical challenges, whatever those things look like, you're facing those on a daily basis and maybe in uniquer ways than before. And then lastly, this all kind of compounds the pace of life, the pace of life. Here's the reality, okay? We have developed systems and processes to function 24-7. And we were not built to function 24-7. We weren't. It's not just a uh, production thing. It's not just a we don't have enough time thing. It's literally our bodies were not meant to function 24-7. Our bodies were not meant to function in that pace. We were created for rest. We were created for pace. And we live in a time where that perpetual change, right, and maybe some of the challenges that we're facing, right, have led to a pace of life. If I go faster, then I'll get it figured out. Then I'll get it done. Then I can do it, right? It's a distraction for some, and some it's to dominate. And that pace of life is unsustainable. I faced it, you faced it, we've all faced it inside of different seasons. Now, anxiety Listen, anxiety is a signal, not the source, though. You understand? Anxiety is a signal, but it's not the source, right? So when we talk about anxiety, I want you to know there's something deeper that also is inside of the conversation. It's not like, let's just defeat anxiety, right? Let's go out there and let's slash it. It's like anxiety tells me there's something deeper that I have to like navigate and bring to God, and that's what we're going to do in this series. That, that is my hope in this series, is that we're not just here to say, let's some personal help measures that I can kind of get rid of anxiety or step over here with anxiety, but actually get to the source. And we'll talk about this at the end, but you have to be patient with it and persistent on the journey. You have to be patient and you have to be persistent on the journey. There's a quote by a man named Steve Cuss. Like I said, he's an author, pastor down in Colorado. He would say this, anxiety is a marker that something other than my identity in Christ is at play, a false self that leads to death, not life. It's a marker of something else that is at play. Anxiety tells me that I am relying on something other than my identity in Christ, the gospel, Jesus, for life. That, that is the source that we have to get to. What is holding me, right? What is holding me in this place that is positioning itself as God in my life instead of God himself? Because interesting enough, my false self, it will rely on myself or my comforts or my control instead of God. Anxiety will tell you that you are leaning on something other than God to save you. And right now, we live in a cultural moment, a postmodern moment, a post-Christian moment that would very easily say that salvation is found in you finding freedom. Tim Keller would say that, that the postmodern thought is if you can find freedom, that is where salvation is found. So if you can find your peace, your identity, and your freedom in and of yourself and through yourself, then you will be able to kind of get to an enlightenment or a specific energy to have salvation. And here's what's very challenging to that, is that you and I, will always have to navigate anxiety, the what-ifs of life, if that is the road that we travel. Because circumstances and people will always get in the way of my attempt of freedom. And I would even say, even if I get through that, there's an anxiety that says, am I ever going to be enough? Am I ever going to accomplish enough? And so what ends up happening is this. Anxiety becomes the marker that I'm trying to find my peace, my identity, my freedom, life in and of itself outside of Jesus who is my Savior and outside of God in and of himself. And honestly, what ends up happening is when I chase freedom in and of myself, it actually becomes my captor also. Have you ever thought about that? When I chase freedom 
and I'm trying to chase my identity, and I'm trying to chase success, and I'm trying to chase peace, and I'm trying to do that in and of myself, and then I realize that in and of myself at some point, I cannot do it, is when I realize that it's been a captor for me this whole time, that I've been imprisoned to this chase of freedom that I can never get out of myself. All of a sudden, I'm just on this treadmill trying to figure it out. And I think, I think for myself, right, and maybe this is for you at the same time, I think that all of a sudden, this lack of peace, right, this lack of peace that I'm not sure I'm good enough, I'm not sure that I am enough, I'm not sure that I I have approval enough, I'm not sure I can achieve enough, I'm not sure I can succeed enough, I'm not sure that I can find peace in myself, is what ends up being the source, which is ultimately my chase for salvation, my chase for being saved, my chase for finding freedom and finding life in and of itself. And anxiety Anxiety becomes the signal that tells me that all of a sudden I am basing my salvation on what I can do instead of what he's done. Anxiety at a spiritual level. Now, I I probably won't spend much time on the medical level and all that stuff. I think there's time where you talk medically. I think there's time counseling. Like, I've been through counseling and stuff. I I would suggest that to anyone who's thinking about it. When I say spiritually, at the root, we are all spiritual beings, right? It tells me it's a signal that there's a source that I need to figure out. For example, right? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's money. And the signal is, right, I'm stressed and I'm worried about money. And maybe I'm holding money and maybe greed is a part of my life in a place where God should only be, right? You think about the freedom and the lack of freedom that comes with that. And here's the reality. Not only do I fear or have this place of a lack of peace, right, that anxiety tells me, but ultimately it drills down to the foundation of where that lack of peace starts. Because you and I at the foundation start as enemies of God. We start in opposition to God. We start by running away from God. We start by not being in a relationship with God. You have to understand the lack of peace that our worlds, individuals, you and I feel does not start with I didn't achieve enough or I don't have enough, but starts with I cannot save myself and have a relationship with God in and of myself because sin gets in the way. We read that in Romans. Romans 5, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's highlighting the big idea of the good news of Jesus. And he says, you have to understand, you were enemies of God, and he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, not when you got all dressed up and fancied up and you were all perfect, but when you were at the messiest, lowest points. Paul would go on in Colossians 1, 21. It's not on the screen, but I'll read it. He said this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, right? My lack of peace begins with my lack of relationship with God, If he is creator, sustainer, and king over all, then to know him and abide with him is where life is found. Anything outside of that is fake and frivolous. And he would say, our heart of sin, right, which is a condition, not just a coincidence of bad behavior every once in a while. There's a condition that you and I face that separates us from relationship with God, Because God, who is holy, almighty, and good, cannot be in the presence of sin. What he would say is there is something in between us, and you and I cannot provide anything to climb that mountain. But he sent Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. And in Romans 5, right before this, verses 1 and 2, we see this. Therefore, it's a turning point. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope 
of the glory of God. Here's the reality. It is only through Jesus that you and I can experience peace with God. It is only through Jesus that you and I can have a relationship with God. It is only through Jesus that you and I can experience salvation, saving us from our sinful ways and our sinful behavior into the family of God. And he says it is by faith through grace. It's very important. I, I was wrestling with this this morning in prayer. The reality is this. We need Jesus more than we give credit to. We do. We need Jesus way more than you and I sit and think about every day. I was thinking about this morning. I was praying over it. And I was just like, Lord, I need you. If I could do this in and of myself, right? If I could do this in and of myself, I would hope we'd be there by now, right? But clearly that is not happening. And my sin holds me from that. And he says, now listen, listen, he says this. I've loved you so much, I sent Jesus, who is my son, to come down to earth, to be born in a manger, and that kid to grow up into a man, die on the cross, be rose again so that you could have life. And in all of that, in all of that, all you have to do is acknowledge that I am Savior and Lord of your life. It's by faith through grace. The beauty of that is this. He went to the longest, hardest, most intense lengths to save us in some of the easiest invitation. Come to me. Come to me. It's by grace. He's like, once you figure out you need me, I am here to embrace you, have always been here to embrace you, and will always love you. And you and I will only be able to ever experience peace at a root source level with Jesus. What I love is how Paul ends this. He says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, which is absolutely unreal because what he says is, and by the way, this faith and grace stuff, it is not of your credit and it's not of your doing. It is of God's grace and to his glory that this all happens. The fact of the matter that you get a chance to live inside a relationship with him should wow you by his grace and should just make you fall on your knees to see the glorious, wonderful creator of the heavens and the earth who says, I want to be your father, right? He says, just imagine what that's like and enjoy it. We gain access to God through what Jesus did for us and his grace and glory cover us. I'd have you write this down. Right, and I'll explain it. My source of peace becomes my place of presence. My source of peace becomes my place of presence. Listen, wherever you find peace, quote unquote, wherever you think you find peace, wherever you go to peace, is most likely your presence is going to be. All right? Wherever peace is, that's where your presence will be. And simultaneously, the same thing happens. When Jesus invites us, he says, I have made peace between you and God. It's only through me. And the reality is this. If Jesus is my source of peace, then my place of presence will also be with him. And that is where I will continually experience the peace of God is in his presence that you and I can have a relationship with God without Jesus getting in the way and saying, I'm going to die for you. And as we continue to lean in to him and his presence, he says, I want you to understand the peace of God that comes with that. And if anything else takes place of that, your presence will be with that and will be devoid of peace inside of that. So the question I have for you is, will you say yes to peace through Jesus? All right? Will you say yes to peace through Jesus? What I love about this is this. Jesus, he came to save us, and I think I was confused by this at times, and I think I've wrestled with this, but I'm like, oh, then life is going to become easy, right? Say yes to Jesus, and life's all going to get figured out, and it's going to become easy. 
doesn't. When you say yes to Jesus, it doesn't mean that anxiety is going to go away, stress is going to go away, worry is going to go away, or that sin is going to go away. What it does is this, saying yes to Jesus and peace through Jesus says, I recognize that you are Savior and Lord over all. And I'm going to turn from the path my heart has been taking in sin, and I'm going to follow after you, recognizing that you are the only one that gives joy and peace and love and eternal life with you. When I say yes to that, it doesn't mean these external things disappear. What it means is this, my desires as I follow him start to change. And as my desires start to change and I follow after him, then all of a sudden the source changes too. Doesn't become about me having control. Doesn't become about my money having control. Doesn't become about my success having control or my relationships having control. But it becomes about Jesus having control of my life and him becoming the big deal in my life. And he says, I promise you eternity, but I also promise you now life and life to its fullest. And I can tell you this, that if we are the country with the most anxiety and we personally struggle with it, that statement, life and life to its fullest, seems foreign to us. Like, what do you mean life and life to its fullest, Jesus? Don't you see me struggling? And he says, yes, but follow me. Lean into me. I'm the only one who gives peace. I'm the only one who can navigate that with you. Because here's the reality, and I'll go through this quick because I want to end in a very distinct way. But there are going to be enemies that try to come in and destroy your peace. Very spiritually. Very spiritually, okay? Yes, that calendar rearranging destroyed your peace. That sickness destroyed your peace. But there are spiritual things that are going to navigate, and you're going to have to navigate. The first one is this. Your flesh desires control. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 speaks into this, and I'm going to be real short, and I'm sorry about that. We'll probably come around and do a series about these, but your flesh desires control, right? What your flesh would say is that I need to sit in the seat of control, I need to be my own God, and I need to call the shots to make anything make sense and to find salvation or freedom. And so peace and freedom are found in having control, in fulfilling your desires and fulfilling your wants and finding your freedom in doing whatever you want to try to kind of do whatever and become whoever so that you can fulfill whatever. And that is very much kind of what our next generation is hearing. You go do you. You go figure it out. You go be whoever you want to be. And there's a freedom to that that crashes, absolutely crashes. The second one is the world seeks distraction. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, right? This would be speaking to like uh, the philosophy of secularism, which would be called nowism. The here and now is all that matters, right? What the world does is it tries to distract us from where true peace is found. Peace and freedom is found in only here and now. It's found in only doing what your, your gut says you should do. It's found in only doing what everybody says you should do. It's found in enjoying the moment. YOLO, you only live once, right? The last one is this. The devil tells us lies, 1 John 3, 8. That one we might highlight the most or we hear speaks about the most in church. The other two are just as relevant and just as sly. The devil, who's the great deceiver, the father of lies is what scripture writes about, basically tries to destroy your peace and joy through lies. He is the accuser, liar, thief, and bent on our destruction. And as an army of angels, an army of demons behind him in that, right? There are going to be enemies that try to come in and try to destroy your peace and distract from where true peace is found, which is with Jesus. And if the gospel is true, there is something more to live for. We don't have to be controlled by the false self, but by finding our identity in Jesus and finding our life in Jesus. Romans 6, 8 through 10 says this, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's the reality. 
Sin is not just a coincidence, it's a condition, right? We have a heart problem, not just a disobedience problem. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection and us attaching our life to him, changes our heart's desires. And as he changes our heart's desires, all of a sudden, right, what is outside and looks to distract becomes and stays outside. And all of a sudden, I start to focus into where peace is at. Doesn't mean that it's going to come right away. John Mark Comer would say this. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. In the beginning, we have a choice, but eventually we have a character. As we lean into Jesus and he changes our desires, we have a choice to lean in to ultimately who he is and what he is all about. You and I cannot change ourselves into the image of Christ in and of ourselves. I cannot muster up and say, I'm going to look more like Jesus, right? We've talked about this. The gospel doesn't tell me muster up and try to make it. What it says is follow Jesus and deny the false self. Follow Jesus and turn and believe that he is the only one. Follow Jesus and turn and believe that he is the true one who is the one who only gives peace. Right? Experiencing peace is following him. And here's the reality. Okay? Here's the reality. As we close today, right, I know there are several stories in here. I know there's several experiences. I know there's several moments. There's several scenarios. There's several situations. There's several things that sit in this moment today. And I know anxiety is one of those things. I just do, right? I just know that it's a part of our life collectively, but it's a part of the personal story that you and I may be navigating in this moment, and you might be wrestling with the what-ifs of life, right? What I love is this, that the Word of God, right? I was reading this in a book, the Word of God, right, challenges us to respond to God, right? doesn't so much talk about believe in God, not believe in God, but how do I respond to Him? Am I responding and repenting my heart, following Him, trusting in Him as Savior, and throughout this series, I think that Jesus, more than anything, wants us to recognize what may be going on and respond to him. Because like I said, this is a daily battle for me. It just is. It's a daily battle that I face. And I think some of it is genetics that play into it. But I think a lot of it is spiritual. I remember when I jumped into this job, we'll call it a role, as a campus pastor. And I remember having a lot of thoughts, having a lot of fears and anxiety around what this looked like. Because here's the reality, how I'm built, I'm built around approval, acceptance, and achievement. And I try to chase those things however I can. I remember the first few months before COVID hit and then all everything just changed, right? I remember how anxious I would be for this moment right here. If we just to use one example amongst others. Saturday nights, I hate. About four or five o'clock, it's dinner time, but my stomach isn't empty anymore. It's full of something. Butterflies, we call it. But it's that gnawing gut feeling that I would start to get. All day, I've been re- Cursing or processing, or does that make sense, or will that sound good, or will that make this happen, or what will people think of this moment? Four or five comes, the gut starts to turn, the mind starts to race, the heart starts to beat. You're trying to figure out what does it look like to enjoy Saturday night, this and that. Get to later in the evening as you're processing what are you going to say and how are you going to say it, you start to think about what are people going to say and what are people going to respond with? You start to think about how do I play this out and I got to stay up here and do this and do this. And then I wake up extremely early on Sunday mornings. Some would say an unholy hour, right? As I wake up, what was happening Saturday night expedited, got worse, it didn't help, and all of a sudden there'd be thoughts of do I have to go in 
Do I actually have to play this out? What if this is gonna happen? Am I going to, sorry for the language, throw up? What is this gonna look like? I remember the first few months, and trust me, it's not like it's gone away very much so, but I remember sitting in that seat and wondering, what in the world am I doing? Like, what is going on here? Because these moments, right? Listen, I know that this for me is my moment. You have moments like this. Doesn't mean it's public speaking, but it might be work. But you sit here in this moment and all you're trying to do is get through it and you're trying to protect yourself in it. It's what you're trying to do. I gotta say the right things because if that person looks at me confused, I'm not so sure anymore. I gotta say the right things because if that person comes to me afterwards, I'm not so sure anymore. I gotta say the right things so I get a pat on the back. And all of a sudden became this chase of approval and acceptance and achievements, which has been a part of my life, not just in these moments. Now being real and raw, not to get a pat on the back, but to just tell you it's a part of everyone's story. And what I had to start doing, and maybe why I present the gospel in the way that I do, is I had to start speaking into my life the gospel truth that tells me this is not where salvation is found. And you might be in that scenario where you think salvation is found at your desk or in your home or in this marriage working out or in the kids getting all the things right and all the things figured out and getting this and getting that and all this. Salvation is only found in Jesus and his gospel. Because as I started to process it, which I have to process literally every Sunday morning, that approval is not found in me saying the great words, the right words, all these words, and getting pat on the back and attaboy. It is found in the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And the fact of the matter is this, that God, when I say yes to Jesus, sees me as he would see Jesus. And that should be enough approval for me to live life at peace that I don't need to chase after anybody else's. But it is an intense battle every single day because I want people to like me. That becomes salvation. Acceptance, right? It's the same thing, maybe just a different word, maybe just in different arenas, right? I gotta make sure that I am accepted inside of different circles and make sure things are going well and make sure that everything is playing out the way I want it to play out because I need their acceptance when in reality, by the cross and through the resurrection, I have the greatest acceptance that could ever come upon anybody because Jesus died for me and said, I want you to be part of my family. Being a part of God's eternal family is way, way, way more important and beautiful than just finding acceptance through a one-time thing that I might have put a couple hours into. And lastly, achievements, right? I want to achieve. I don't want to let anybody down. I want to make sure that this thing is rocking and rolling I know that doesn't fall just on my shoulders. I know it doesn't fall on my shoulders at all, Jesus's, but my predisposition is it does. If I don't achieve at a certain mark, then things must not be going well. And I had to wrestle with that. And what it came to is this, where only I could experience peace is in the fact that Jesus achieved what I could not so that I could receive what I don't deserve. And the fact of the matter is this, through the cross and resurrection, he achieved for me salvation and peace and joy and life. And I could never find it outside of that. That at the cross and through the resurrection, all the what ifs are put to death. Listen, if we actually believe the gospel, and I'm not minimizing anxiety because I deal with it and you deal with it, but if we actually believe the gospel and it plays out in our minds every day, the what ifs would die super quick because there is no what ifs with Jesus he did die for us and then he did rise again and he now is at the right hand of the father and he is ruling over all and that is the story that we are going to talk about this entire month it's a story we're going to talk about and we're going to flesh out because Jesus is the only one who could give us peace allow us peace now listen your story might not be that far off it might be a little bit different it might be the same you just need to know this, you're not alone. That's why I share my story. You're not alone, and it's not like I'm done dealing with it. I wish I was, trust me. Ask my wife, right? 
wish I was. The reality is this, the gospel is the only thing that you can find life in. And our goal in this series is not to fix it, but to follow him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and then I'm going to have us do something that we don't normally do, okay? So if you're a guest here, your first time here, uh, this won't be anything that will get you outside your comfort zone, but it will be different than what we normally do. Because I think through this series, right, for many of us, right, this might be a conversation that the signal needs to drive us to the source. Needs to drive us to the source. We're going to look at a passage in this entire uh, month and series in Philippians, Philippians 4. That's where we're going to land. We're going to talk through an acronym that comes from a book by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing. And the reality is this, this passage, reading it, isn't going to change maybe what you're dealing with in this moment, or isn't going to change maybe what you walked in here with. Maybe you don't even believe in Jesus, and you're like, what, is, what are you talking about? Peace and presence and all this stuff. What my invitation is this, is hold on. Allow us to just have conversations. Allow us to speak in. You don't have to agree with us to be here. But what I want to invite you to do as I close, and the band's going to lead us in one more song, is in respect to God's word and in respect to the power of God's word, in respect to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want us to stand in the reading of this passage, and then I'm just going to leave you with three things. So why don't you stand with me as we read, and then I'll leave us with three quick things, and we'll sing from there. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Easy to say, Paul, right? But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. The God of peace will be with you. You cannot have the peace of God without first peace with God. Jesus is the only one who has ushered in peace with God through his death and resurrection. For some of us, we have to start there, saying yes to Jesus repenting from, looking at the source, what am I placing as God, and then placing Jesus as the only one. My invitation is threefold past that. Because some of us, we have said that, we have done that, we have been in that. My invitation during this series is threefold. First is this. Will you spend time in the presence of God and others this series? you spend time in his word and in prayer and in community. We're going to walk through this series. There's acronyms. We'll get fancy with it and all that stuff. But we're going to look at a passage that helps us spend time in the presence of God where peace is found. But secondly is this. Anxiety can be helped and snuffed out by the people of God that are around you. You might have things going on and you need people to highlight those things, not in a hurtful, pointing out way, but in a loving way. We have things called life groups that are life-giving groups for the sake of the mission of Jesus Christ and for the sake of building up the church. We'd invite you to join them. The second thing I would ask is this. Will you be patient in this journey? Anxiety doesn't stop one day. Anxiety is not just going to quit and you're going to be like over it, right? Anxiety is a journey conversation that you and I will wrestle with for a lifetime maybe. The best advice I read as I was studying is to be patient with it. Recognizing is the first step. Sometimes it takes a lot longer to get to navigating it. Be patient with us talk to us, spend time with people, wrestle with it. You are not the only one. If that's holding you back, come talk to me, and we can commiserate. 
on all the things anxiety. The last thing is this. Eyes up here. I can't see them, but you can see me, okay? Will you let us pray for you? Please. There are cards in the back of the chairs that say need prayer. You can do it anonymously. You can do it with your phone number, with an email. We'll reach out to you if needed. We'll send that if you're willing to our prayer gathering that meets on Sunday mornings. Without prayer, without prayer, right, we are useless because the Spirit of God moves for us. He offers us prayer to speak and engage with Him. I am praying for you already. And if you want specifically to be prayed over, write it on the card. Come see a staff member, a volunteer that has a name tag. We'd love to spend time with you, hear your heart and what's going on. But right now, let's worship our God. And if that means sitting down and writing a prayer, if that means kneeling, if that means arms raised up, if that means just contemplative prayer, standing, you lean into God in this moment.